This segment of Grape Encounters is brought to you by my number one wine discovery of 2016, the awesome gold medal winning wines of the Cardello Winery. From the very first sip, you'll understand why these astounding, nicely priced Cardello wines are swiftly becoming a cult classic, just as I predicted. Handcrafted and stunning, you can get yours at CardellaWinery.com. That's CardellaWinery.com. Or find more information at GrapeEncounters.com. Several miles off the main highway, tucked away in a secluded canyon on prime vineyard property, stands a rustic barn that was built many decades before the vines around it were planted. In that barn, a sophisticated broadcast and recording studio has been built. The barn also has a well-hidden root cellar stocked with many of the world's most exceptional wines, only to be shared with guests who secretly come to offer their insights and tell their stories. Guests are sworn to secrecy and are shuttled to the studio aboard a John Deere tractor. Those who cannot make the journey in person are interviewed by satellite hookup, and sometimes the crew simply sneaks away with microphones in hand and interviews guests in barrel rooms, wine cellars, and other magical places. All of this is done like clockwork every single week so that we can bring you another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach Save the fuzz for my pillow And it is time for your weekly Grape Encounter and... I have been waiting to do this interview for a long time. It has been a long time since I have had my guest on. He is a friend, but more important than that, he is one of the most decorated winemakers on the planet. I think the first person to win three 100-point scores in one year from Robert Parker. I am talking about Mark Carter of Carter Cellars and Envy Wines. Hey, Mark. God, hey, you, David. How you doing, buddy? You were just this winemaker last time I talked to you. Now, I shouldn't say this winemaker. You were a guy who had, I think, two 100-point scores. Our first 100 came in 2012 for our retrospect of the 2002 Tokalon that we made. Uh, Ten years after we made it, it became a 100-point wine. And it was very exciting, our first hundred. Well, you know, I, I remember the first time I met you, I was excited to meet you because I had, up to that point, never met anybody that had gotten a 100-point score. It's so rare. And I think at that time, right, you were just one of a handful of people who were American winemakers who had gotten 100 points on a Cabernet, right? That is correct. You know, there is just a handful. Lately, a few more people have been picking up 100-point wines, but... Thank goodness we have also, since then, gotten four um, more 100 points, so we have five altogether. That is so amazing. Now, in the Academy Awards world, when somebody gets an Academy Award, the movie takes off to new heights. Everybody wants to see it. You know, the movie, if it's already been released in the theater, gets a second round and pulls in a whole lot more money. What is the, you know, and I know you're a humble guy, so you may not even want to answer this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What is the impact of a 100-point score on the sales and the value of your wine? Well, it definitely kind of makes you in a, a different league. You do get 100 points and are able to actually qualify that who you are that way, you know, that you're one of the top Cabernets in Napa Valley. 
it does make your sales. You can sell all the wines. It's a tough today with uh, as many wineries in Napa Valley to uh, kind of separate yourself from the rest. One of the ways to do that is if you do get 100 points, they do come and see you. We do small little tastings. We're not very big. We do not make a lot of wine. We make nine different wines today, four from Tokelon, um, which are different blocks of Tokelon. We've gotten uh, 100 points on Tokelon three times from different blocks. Some of them are different clones, which is kind of an interesting thing that makes the grapes a different size, which makes the actual set every year the same on those vines, and then they do taste a little bit different depending on the size of the grapes and um, the skin contact. So so talk to me about a vineyard like Tokelon. When you have a property like that, it does make all the difference. And, you know, I know that there are those few pieces of property really in the wine world that once you have a property like that and you learn how to grow on it, there's no looking back, right? What is so special about this vineyard? Well, I was asked this uh, at a wine spectator had a forum on the Tokelon Vineyard. There was four folks, uh, Fred Schrader, uh, Paul Hobbs, and Tor Kenwood, myself, on this panel. And we stood up and said what made Tokelon so great. And uh, one of the things is uh, the location, the weather, the soil, the farming. Those are the things that really make it stand out, and it's just historic. It's one of the greatest vineyards in the world, and basically, you know, great wines come from great vineyards. Yeah, great wines are made in the vineyard, not necessarily in the in the barrel room. It sure makes it a lot easier when you start Doesn't with great though? fruit. <laughs> so what it, tell me the history of Tokelon. Who are some of the celebrities who have grown great wines in that vineyard? Well, there's probably about 20 different producers from actually the Tokelon Vineyard. Like I say, Fred Schrader's on there, and he has actually the most 100-point wines in America today. Then Paul Hobbs has also gotten 100 points off of the uh, Tokelon Vineyard. How many acres are we talking about in total there? Do you know? 86 acres altogether. That, that ain't very much land. No, and we've been on there since uh, 2000. Uh, so we've been there almost as long as anybody. Fred Schrader also got on the vineyard in 2000. So we're really happy to be there. And like you say, once you get on the vineyard, you know, you kind of start understanding the vineyard, uh, when to pick. And that's a very important part of it. And they do a great job of farming, so you don't have a lot of fruit there. That's why you pay so much for the uh, tonnage there. We're talking to Mark Carter. He is, oh my gosh, he's a five-time winner of 100 points on his wines. The other two gold medals were for Carter Wines. Well, they were all for the the Carter Wines, Carter Cellars, actually, and they all came off of uh, fruit from, actually, Andy Beckstoffer. Basically, four of the wines came from the Tokelon Vineyard, and then one of the wines came from Los Piedros, which is in San Lina, which is another great vineyard. So going back to Tokelon for a second, you said to me that the grapes are much more expensive from that vineyard. What are we talking about? What is the difference? Can you give me a comparison yes. per ton for, you know, sort of the average vineyard, if there's anything really average in Napa versus Tokelon? Yeah, the average fruit in uh, Napa Valley for Cabernet goes for 
between about $6,000 and maybe $9,000 at the most for really great vineyards, you know. And then Tokelon goes for about 28000 a ton. Oh, my gosh. You're kidding me. No. 28000 uh, a ton. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> you better know what you're doing with that fruit, right? Yeah, you can't. You don't want to mess it up. No, you don't. So when you when you say you you get on a vineyard, what is the process? How do you become one of the winemakers who is getting fruit from a vineyard with that kind of prestige? Well, hopefully you're lucky enough to get on there very very early. Today it would be very hard to get onto a vineyard of uh, great stature uh, unless you already make great wines and people know that you make great wines because. You know, it goes hand in hand for the person, the grower, wants to sell his grapes to people that actually do make 100-point wines. Right. So do you actually have growers contact you now? And again, I know you're like one of the most humble people I've ever known. So, you know, you may not like answering these kinds of questions, but do they contact you and say, hey, Mark, you know, or maybe they say Mr. Carter now, but uh, Mark, <laughs> which... <laughs> Would you be interested in us growing some grapes for you? Because, you know, they've got the vineyard owners got to want guys like you getting 100 points to increase the value of their real estate. You know, it, it does work both ways. In fact, we don't have a lot of people contacting us. We are always looking for great vineyards in different places. In fact, you know, it doesn't even have to be Napa Valley. Uh, somebody in South Africa has a great historic vineyard. We'd be happy to go to South Africa and make some wine there or even to Italy because we have connections there, family there. So we're looking at different spots, and it'd be great if people did contact us. You know, there's a shortage of grapes sometimes in Napa Valley, so just to be on those vineyards, uh, I think the biggest thing was to actually get started early. We do grow our own grapes, too. We have our own vineyard here. And I have sucked down some wine standing in the middle of that vineyard, which is one of the most beautiful spots in Napa. Hey, Mark Carter, stay with me for a second. Okay. We're going to go to a break for just a second, and we'll be back. We're talking to Mark Carter of Carter Cellars, also of Envy Wines, and we haven't even talked about bourbon. And you're in your restaurant and one of the best wine lists on planet Earth. My gosh, there's a lot to talk about when you've got Mark Carter on the line. We'll be back in just a second. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. Like certain wines, he's syrupy, sweet, and has long legs. Here's David Wilson. Hey, back with Grape Encounters Radio, and man, what a way to start the new year to be able to talk to somebody who I I just love him. I love his wife. That's actually how I met him, through his wife. It's Mark Carter of Carter Cellars and Envy Wines, and also making bourbon now, right? 
Yeah, we're making some bourbon out in Kentucky. We enjoy it. My uh, family, uh, my grandmother was from Kentucky, and so I think it's in my DNA. Would your grandmother approve of you making booze? Oh, I think so. I okay. think she must, must have drank a lot of bourbon in her day. All right. And then, <laughs> and then in Northern California, way Northern California, right up near the border, you have an inn up there that has, I believe, one of the best wine lists really in the country, right? Well, we hope so. It's been uh, awarded a a grand award from Wine Spectator uh, since uh, 98. Uh, We have about 4,000 selections on it. It became quite a a passion of uh, ours to actually put this list together, and it was a reason for people to come to Eureka and stay at my hotel and have dinner at the restaurant there at the Carter House and Restaurant 301. Wow. It's been fun. That's how I met a lot of people in the wine industry, especially in Napa Valley. That's how I met Nils Vingi, who is my partner at the winery today. Uh, we used to do a lot of winemaker dinners and with a lot of vintners from Napa. And then I got the bug and wanted to make wine also, just like Nils and all my friends at live in Napa. And Nils is, of course, a legend in the wine business, a name that anybody in wine knows. What is it like to partner with somebody like that? Because I can only imagine what the synergy must be like. Nils is one of the greatest guys in the world. You know, he uh, took me under his wing back in, uh, I actually started you know, going down and meeting Nils in probably um, 87 because he did make the first 100-point wine in America, for Groth, the 85 Groth Reserve was a wine that Nils Vindy made, and he got so much publicity about that that I had to, had to meet him, and we definitely hit it off uh, back then, and he finally started making my wines for me uh, in 98, after I, you know, every year would bug him enough to say, hey, Nils, make some wine for me. In uh, 98, he said, okay, I finally I said he said he'd make wine for me. Back in and wow. We were lucky enough to do well with that first wine, and then he also convinced me to find a place to buy in uh, 2006. And uh, I said I would buy something, and but I wanted him to be my partner. And uh, so he said, yeah, I'd love to be your partner, Mark. And so we found this little property, uh, 20 acres in uh, actually uh, Calistoga on Tubbs Lane. It is such an amazing property. You stand there in, in the, you know, just in front of the winery and you can see, you know, either end of the, either side, I should say, of the valley there. And it's, God, it's just breathtaking. And then the tasting room that you have there is just, I hate using words like adorable, but I'm just going to say that, okay? It's just a really cute, quaint, wonderful tasting room in the style of what Napa, I I think, must have been like some years ago. It's just much more inviting and not over the top. That's a compliment, right? You don't need to have a mausoleum, right? Yeah. We're very small. Both MV and Carter, we don't make a lot of wine. Carter makes 1,500 cases. MV makes about... Uh, 3,000 cases, and um, so we're, uh, when you come in, you, you really don't see buses or, you know, lots of people. Carter only does a few tastings a week, and they're by appointment. Envy, you can come in and actually just walk in and have a tasting if it's not busy, like in the summer. It does, can get a little busier in the summer, but, you know, we try to set up for appointments so that we can kind of almost do a one-on-one with people like used to do 
you know, yeah. 25 years ago in Napa Valley. We are talking to winemaker Mark Carter, not just winemaker, also now a spirit maker as well, and also restaurateur and inn owner and married to an amazing painter, winemaker, author. You got the life, dude. <laughs> and five five perfect scores, 100-point scores from Robert Parker. Man. Thank you. How do I get to be you? <laughs> I'm a very lucky guy, I guess. <laughs> and, and, and I and I might I might add that your wife not only is talented beyond words, she's also young and beautiful. <laughs> yes, like I said, I'm very lucky. Your life is 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 so good. So as far as the tasting room is concerned, it must be nice actually to be in a position where you only do tastings by appointment because you know an awful lot of people that come to tasting rooms these days are just. You know, kind of coming to drink, right? I hate to say that, but, I mean, I have a wine bar myself. I know how it goes. <laughs> well, we hope that people have heard about us. And, in fact, like on uh, Carter Cellars, what we do, most of the people I do the tasting for are people that already bought our wine and really appreciate the yeah, wine. Right. Or by somebody has sent them and told them about the wines. And this is kind of how we get to tell the whole story about Carter Cellars or Envy, just by sitting down with them and talking to them and telling where the every uh, you know vineyard is and you know what we did that year and it gives a personal connection and that's what we're really looking for we don't since we don't make a lot of wine we don't need a lot of people we just want to you know keep getting a few new people and keeping the people we have that are our friends to sell the wines to we don't plan to be huge ever making tons and tons of wine we just want to make great wines, and have great friends. As long as you, you make enough for, for me to have my share. Yes, and David, anytime you want some wine, you've got it. So you know what I love that you make? You know my, and it's really one of my absolute favorite wines, and I've said this on the show more than a couple of times, you don't know this, but no. it's that Merlot from the Coliseum block, right? That is correct. That, I, you know, it's... Uh, we do do a Merlot. I love Merlot, and uh, even when it fell out of favor for a while, uh, we kept making Merlot. And uh, the Coliseum is a great place. Uh, Henry Hosfeld planted this vineyard in uh, 1982. It's over a 30% grade. You couldn't plant it today. His daughter runs the vineyard today. And uh, we get some great Merlot off of that. That uh, Noel, it's about 850 feet up elevation. Yeah, it gets great exposure. It gets super nice and ripe. And uh, we got a really nice review last year on this wine from Robert Parker. He even said it uh, reminded of a great wine of France called Petrus. Oh my gosh! All right, hold that thought. <laughs> we gotta come back to that, man. Lady Luck is on your side. <laughs> We're talking to Mark Mark Carter of Carter Cellars. Five times he has received 100 points from Robert Parker. And, and the praise doesn't, by the way, end there. That's just the beginning. We'll talk a little bit more with Mark when we return with Grape Encounters. Thank you, David. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California, where fine wine can be found in every direction, which means you never really need directions to get anywhere you really want to go. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you 
share ideas, and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. At Grape Encounters Radio, we don't judge you by the wine you drink, but we personally prefer the good stuff. Uh, Did you bring any? Your Grape Encounter continues with David Wilson. I've got an $8 bottle of wine. Picked it up on sale in the checkout line. Oh, it looked pretty good to me. Made somewhere in California. For that price, honey, how bad could it be? Oh, my gosh. What if you woke up one morning, especially the wine people who are listening to this show, you woke up one morning and you were taking stock of your life and you said, oh, my gosh, I have won five perfect scores, 100-point scores from Robert Parker. You know, that's what it's got to be like in your life, Mark, that some days you must just wake up questioning if your life is really as good as it is. (laughs) Well, every day it's a blessing, you know. I was taught that, you know, it's a good day if you get up in the morning and we get to go out and do what we love doing. Yeah, and and especially if you can keep your health, then you really have it made. Absolutely, David. All right, so tell me this then. When you earn a 100-point score, how much of that wine did you have on hand? And, you know, what's it like? Does the phone start ringing and and are are people trying to get in on the action? Tell me what that's like. Yes, everybody wants a 100-point wine, it seems like. You know, if you get a 99, they don't want that wine, (laughs) no matter how good it is. And why is that? I mean, people do dances over 93s and 94s, but, you know, when you get close but not perfect, that actually works against you? It, it seems to. You know, that's what we have discovered over the years, that uh, when sometimes when you get that 100-point wine, that's all they ask for and all they want, you know. But we don't know which wine is ever going to be the 100-point wine. You know, it just each year it's a little different. So, you know, what we do have to suggest, and our wines are usually sold out before they're even bottled, usually. And uh, what we end up doing is for our guests that come to us, we show them all the wines. They end up usually getting all nine wines. So now this is super interesting because you're saying that those 100-point wines, when they received the 100-point score, they were basically already sold out. That's usually the case. Or at least spoken for, right? Is that what it is? That is correct. So what's it like for the customer, your fans, when they find out that they've already bought a 100-point bottle of wine? Well, I think they're usually pretty excited. We're talking eBay here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what's nice is when they come and we do the tasting with them, and they said we bought the wines last year. I said, well, geez, you got three 100-point wines in that selection you got, you know? They're very, very excited. And like I say, we don't know what the ratings are going to be. We usually have most of the wines already sold by that time, you know? Okay, so the wines have left your possession. Well, they're still in the warehouse okay, at that good. point. <laughs> okay, because I would, oh man, I would be so upset to know that I had, you know, three weeks before consumed a 100-point bottle, not knowing it was going to be 100. Oh man, <laughs> talk about being bummed. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oh, that would that would hurt. That would be like dropping the bottle off the shelf. <laughs> okay, so I want to change the subject for a second. I want to go back to the whiskey business. Is whiskey business risky business? No, it's 
for us, we, uh, I think, hit it just exactly right time. We got a great story, actually, a friend of mine who is in the inn business, and they've had their inn for a 100 years in Kentucky, and it's called the Beaumont Inn. And they told me a story 30 years ago that they used to make in bourbon, and then Prohibition came in 1914 and took away all their bourbon and put in a warehouse, and yeah. then that warehouse supposedly burnt down with the bourbon in it, and they never got their bourbon back after Prohibition. They oh, sued man. the government, and for a couple of years, that was C.M. Dedman died, kind of a broken guy. His son died, uh, actually sues for 20 years, and uh, finally gives up, and it just becomes part of their history. And then in 2006, when we opened up Envy Wines, we tried to find people to do Custom Crush, and I was talking to some of my friends that had inns, and the Beaumont Inn said, gee, we'd like you to make some red and white wine for us for our tavern. And I said, well, we could do that, but I could see that was going to be a wines by the glass would probably be a $10 bottle. And I said, I just, that wouldn't be a lot of margin in it for us. And I said, you know, I remember a story you once told about your family making bourbon. Why don't we start bourbon again in Kentucky? And they said, we could do that. I said, yeah, we could do that. You know? Wow. And uh, we did. Ah, that's so cool. Listen, does your reputation in the wine business help to drive the popularity of your bourbon? Is there some interrelationship there? Well, what's interesting is with the big red wines that we make, the Cabernets, there are a lot of people that do like bourbon too. So it's the crossover, which is really nice for us. And they like the story. And the only problem is it's only sold in Kentucky, so I can't even sell it in California. You can't can't bring it back here. Yeah, I don't bring it back. We don't make enough. We only make 125 cases. So it is all sold in Kentucky and it's on back bars in Kentucky and it's called Kentucky Owl. Like the bird. Kentucky out. In Napa, how many winemakers are now doing what we're seeing in other areas, which is to make fine spirits, micro distilleries, that sort of thing? How many of those are popping up in your area? I mean, it certainly is the trend right now, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, uh, Chinchero, they're doing uh, Amador spirit. It's called Amador. And you've got other folks that have wineries that are sending barrels to Kentucky, to Jefferson makes a Pritchard's Hill for a Chapelet, and they make a Groth also. So there's a few folks doing it. Jason Woodbridge has a, a brand called The Duke, and let's see, I think Foley, Robert Foley has a brand, but I don't know what the name of his brand is. So there's a, a few there's a lot of, of it out us. there. We're probably one of the first that actually started doing something in Kentucky. It took us 10 years. We started this project 10 years ago, and we finally, four years ago, finally started turning out the bourbon. Wow. We were lucky enough to buy some actually aged uh, bourbon back then before it became a kind of a unicorn to find aged bourbon. There was some four-year-old stuff that we found. So by the time we got to it, it was about 10 years old. What do you take to the bourbon-making business that's of great value from the winemaking business? One of the things we found was that a lot of people hadn't double oaked. Uh, we said, let's, let's throw some more oak at it, you know, give it some more color, more flavor. So we did that, and we were almost one of the first to do that. And then uh, Maker's Mark came out with a, and so did uh, everybody else, uh, Woodford Reserve. That was one of the things we brought to uh, the table. Also, uh, what we brought to the table was actually blending and our palate. And I think, you uh, know, Yeah, it makes sense. 
and we're not so critically uh, critical about what the the bourbon is like each time. We we seem to think of it more as of a vintage than just a, a small batch or a batch. Each year it's a little different, and we want it to be different. You know, just like wine. And yeah, isn't, so that, isn't that an interesting point? Because in the spirit world, you know, they try to keep things very consistent. It's interesting to bring that kind of thinking to the spirit world from the wine industry. Uh, I'd, yeah. never, I'd never really thought about that. All right, Mark, we are running out of time. I want to make sure that people know how to find your products, if they can get them. They can certainly come down and visit the Envy Wine Tasting Room, which is a fantastic place. I really recommend it if you're going up to Napa. It's right there in Calistoga. Is the, that is that's correct. address there. So it's Envy Wines. And then can you just give us some contact information for everything else you're doing so that people can learn more about the man who is Mark Carter? <laughs> David, <laughs> you can always just go online and go to cartersellers.com, and that will be for the, the Carter Sellers Wines, envywines.com for the winery in Calistoga. And that's where the Carter Wines are at. Or you can, if you're going up to Northern California, north of Napa in Humboldt County, up on the coast, it's the CarterHouse.com. And uh, you, you can come and see us anytime, stay there, eat there. And on the way to Oregon or the way down from Oregon to uh, Napa Valley, and go to KentuckyAl.com for our bourbon. Man, lots going on. Hey, listen, if I was up there at your inn and I had just won the lottery and I wanted the best thing or close to the best thing off the wine list, which direction would you point me? Well, I would take you over to the Magnum of uh, 1959 Latour, <laughs> uh, which is my favorite bottle of wine I've ever had in my life and would drink that, okay? Would we share that? Yes, we would. A whole magnum. I think it'll be enough for both of us. All right. Hey, Mark. Mark, (laughs) That's. It doesn't get better than that. Hey, Mark Carter. I really appreciate you being on. I really appreciate it. It's such a pleasure, and uh, I'm going to get up to see you very, very soon. And Sherry, tell her hi for me. And it's just such a privilege. Thank you. Well, it's a pleasure, and I hope you win the lottery so we can drink that bottle together. Uh, Either that, or maybe I should come up on my birthday. Okay. Because I know how I know how generous you are. Hey, we're going to be back with more grape encounters right after this. Connecting winemakers, wine lovers, wine adventures, and all things wine from around the globe. You are listening to Grape Encounters Radio with David Wilson, broadcasting from our wine cellar studio in idyllic Atascadero, centrally located in the Central Coast wine country of San Luis Obispo County, California. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas, and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. Do, 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 do. Wine. She's earthy, honest, and sipping each week as a service to you. From Sunset Magazine, it's Sarah Schneider. This is Sipping with Sarah on Grape Encounters Radio. Where's the core for the white wine bottle? It must have been mislaid. And the red wine just can't be found. It can't be far away. 
And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio, and it is time now for Sipping with Sarah. And Sarah, I wanted to sip some wines that we don't sip very often on Grape Encounters Radio, though I do, whenever I get the occasion, talk about two varietals that I think are going to be big. And now that I also operate a wine tasting bar, I'm really seeing that I might be right about this. I'll bet you can do a lot of market research in that tasting room. I do so much market research. You should come do market research with me. I would love to be a fly on the wall. It's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. (laughs) I love doing market research with listeners. Interesting. But but by the end of the night, I'm just done. (laughs) All right. So you want to take a shot at what you think may be the up-and-coming varietals are. I'm not talking about new wines we've never heard of. I'm talking about wines poised to do great things. Sort of coming out of the woodwork. Well, when you first said new varieties, the one that popped into my mind was actually Tempranillo, which is a grape from Spain and it's being grown a lot in California and Washington. See, this is something I hear people say a lot about winemakers. I'll hear this phrase a lot. I love their Tempranillo. Mm -hmm. I also hear I love their San Giovese. Oh, interesting. Those two almost side by side. This is not sophisticated scientific research. I'm just saying I hear (laughs) those phrases a lot. Interesting. And that Sangio is interesting to me, too, because it's been grown here for a long, long time, but it actually hasn't been very good. So people weren't just falling in love with Sangiovese from the West Coast. Well, I didn't necessarily say it was from the West Coast. I just said they like the Sangiovese. (laughs) All right. Well, from Italy, models. but anyway, those are two that they talk about. But the two that I like to talk about. Well, I'm not going to say my two. Forget it. It's your <laughs> turn. So Tempranillo for you. Okay. Any others? I have two that I would go to. The first one is Grenache, I think is coming out from behind Syrah, which was the main red roan grape here for a long time. So I think Grenache is standing on its own more. But Actually, I w- Grenache is, I think, getting a helping hand from Syrah because um, I think that GSMs are quickly becoming as popular as Bordeaux blends. And for those who don't know what I'm saying when I say GSM, that's Grenache. Nash Syrah Moved or Muvedra. So we're seeing so much of that now with some other stuff splashed into it. That's true. By the way. That's true. So anyway, you think Grenache? I would say Grenache. Yeah. Do you think Grenache is going to be more popular than Syrah? I actually do. And I think that depends on whether it gets planted more than it is now. I think it is more understandable to most people than Syrah. I think it has an alluring, come-hither sort of fruit quality to it, whereas Syrah can be a little bit more austere and meaty and smoky and herbal. And See, Grenache and Syrah kind of remind me of the three bears. <laughs> You know, it's like one one bed's too hard, one's too soft, one's too hot, one's too cold. They're almost opposite ends of the spectrum, which is why you blend them together and then it's just right. They help each other And the baby bear is so happy, although the baby bear is not old enough to drink. So what's the splash that you're thinking is the next new? Aha. Which has nothing to do with Syrah. Well, you know, they're like remote cousins. Like they're the cousin that shows up at a wedding of a family member and you haven't seen that cousin in a really, really long time. You really don't <laughs> like that cousin that much, but they just kind of show up and you go, oh, how have you been? Anyway, Petit Syrah is getting very good indeed. You know, I agree with you. Now that you mention it, I think Petit Syrah is sort of differentiating itself from Syrah. People got them confused for a long time. And if they didn't love Syrah, then they just 
didn't even pay attention to Petit Newsflash out there, they're not even spelled the same. Exactly. <laughs> but it's so confusing because the name is just wrong. It's not Syrah, for one thing. It is, like you said, different variety, although genetically related. And it's not little. The Petit just completely does it a disservice. It's, it's news a flash, big bruiser. The, the grape is little. Yeah. But then so is that vial of nitroglycerin. <laughs> Petite Syrah is sort of the two by four upside your head of wine grapes, I think. Is that a bad analogy? Well, I, I like put it. some velvet on it. on the lawn. A velvet two by four. <laughs> First of all, it's not that easy to find. But if you see it, buy it. Because my experience is people who make Petite Syrah generally know how to make Petite Syrah. Because they are really figuring it out. You know, it's not something you wander into aimlessly. And that's a real generalization. Is that fair? No, I think it's very fair because Petite Syrah, if it's not handled and managed, it, it can have tannins that really do knock you up a side of the head. Um, but with a velvet two by four. With a velvet two by four. But winemakers are figuring it out. And even the original two wineries that come to mind that really are responsible for our having Petite Syrah is Concannon, for one, in Livermore. Yeah. And Stag's Leap Winery in Napa. You know, it's a beautiful wine. The other beautiful wine, also petite, that's not petite. When we say petite, it's sort of like an elephant in ballet shoes. Petite Verdot. Well, there you go. Another petite. Little grape, big wine. Big wine. No, it's more like big wine. <laughs> and I can't do that. You can screw up Petite Verdot. And a lot of people will don't want anything to do with Petite Verdot because it can be very nasty if it's not made right. Yeah, if you've had a bad experience, there's your association and you can't get rid of it. When it's bad, it's very, very bad. I have a really good friend who's a winemaker and he makes some very wonderful wines, but he makes a terrible Petite Verdot. <laughs> He and will re remain nameless. Yeah, I got it. He, he listens to the show, but he might figure this out, come to think of it. I don't really care. Maybe this is the way to cue him in that he needs to get his Petite Verdot together. But he gave my wife and I a bottle of Petite Verdot, and we opened it up one night, and oh my gosh, it was just atrocious. We were getting ready to dump the bottle down the sink, and then I said, wait a second, and I went over to the cabinet and I got some sugar out. And I, no, seriously, I put a teaspoon of sugar because it helps the medicine go down and fixed it right up. It's, You're a rebel. Well, that's fine. You know what? What's better, pouring wine down the drain or putting a teaspoon of sugar in it? I'd go for the sugar. You know, you can do that kind of thing. There is no such thing as petite Bordeaux police. Really? <laughs> as we News hear the flash. sirens in the background. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody could go on to the Sunset Magazine website and look up Petite Verdots and Petite Syrahs and see which ones won medals? If you go to our website and look up the Sunset International Wine Competition, that will take you actually to a PDF that lists medals and you can search it by varietal. By varietal. And that would be a good thing to do, I think. I think that in the not-too-distant future, we're going to see a lot more Petite Syrah. they got to plant the stuff first. True, true. That takes a while. Yeah. There's sort of a tool-up period in the wine business. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's going to do it for Grape Encounters today and Sipping with Sarah. We'll catch you next week, and hopefully next week we'll be sipping with Sarah a little bit of Grenache, Syrah, and Petite Syrah. We can do that. Today's edition of Grape Encounters is over, but we're always as close as the World Wide Web. So keep a corkscrew near your computer and enjoy your favorite wine while exploring the day-to-day -day world of Grape Encounters. Then we'll meet you back here next week, same time, and the next delicious wine. Oh, to me.